And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deed should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. We'll take care of all the rest. We'll do the rest. With the microphone off, beginning a brand new series. There we are. Always hurt, helps to push the button on it to make it work, I've found. Uh, it brings power to it. And what we're going to be thinking about is how God brings his power into our lives over this series. And we're here on Reformation Sunday, the Sunday that we remember what happens tomorrow, and it's the other holiday tomorrow. Uh, yes, I know. What, what's tomorrow? Halloween. Halloween. Halloween, but it's also Reformation Day. And Reformation Day is the day a little over 500 years ago that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the front door of the Wittenberg Church, and that led into the Reformation. Yeah, actually, you may not know this, but the, the back part of our altar here says Castle Church Wittenberg on it, and it was originally a piece made for Lindenwood Homecoming celebration honoring the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And we come to that every year, and we're not doing a whole lot for that here at Little Hills today, but we remember it because in that Reformation, in what happened there, there was a push to come back to where we find our power, where that power button is that, that brings us hope. Because we human beings can create an awful lot of ways that we think we're going to get our lives right, that we think that we're going to receive the power that we need to get through life and then move on to the life eternal. But they're not the thing, the only thing that actually works. And, and so that's what we're going to be thinking about tonight is, is what is God calling us to? And, and for those of us who are already Christians, this might sound really elementary and yet it's worth coming back to because we're really good at forgetting the most simple things and making the simple things of God, the, the core things of God, far more complex than they need to be. Yet at the same time, maybe you're here tonight, maybe you're joining us online tonight, and you haven't yet become a Christian, and you're thinking, well, I hear a lot of things about what it means to be a Christian. I, I hear you're supposed to live a certain way. Maybe you're supposed to dress a certain way. You're supposed to come to church. I, I know that. I know that Christians go to church. Okay. Um, maybe I'm supposed to take certain opinions in our culture, support certain political parties. We hear all these sorts of things. Is that what it means to be a Christian? Is that where redemption comes from? Well, that's what we're going to be thinking about over these next four weeks in our series, Born of Light. We're thinking about the encounter between a Pharisee, one of the teachers of the law, someone who had studied the Old Testament thoroughly. He was one of the experts in his culture uh, in first century Palestine. He was one of the authorities on God's law. And his encounter with Jesus, and Jesus helping him to understand what it really means 
to be a follower of the Lord. Now, just to set up where we're going in this, when we turn to John chapter 3, and, and most of us, I think, if, you, if you've been in church or you go to a, a sporting event, you probably know at least one verse of John, John 3.16. Why? Because, you know, of course, we hear it a lot in church, and then there's always the person that's holding up at sporting events. So it's pervasive. But the whole chapter is really quite remarkable because the chapter is setting up how Jesus gets to that verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How do we get there? Why does Jesus say that? We often just hold that up without context, right? We hold it up and, and say, oh, yes, uh, John 3.16, very nice. But John 3.16 in this ca- situation is something that comes out of a conversation with Nicodemus. And, and Nicodemus, as he comes to Jesus, comes, we're told, at night. Now, now we should be thinking about that as we hear the conversation and where it goes, because while he's coming at night, why would he come at night? Well, he could have come at night because he clocked out of work, right? Ah, he's off work. No, that's not it. More than likely, the reason he came at night is because night is when you go to somebody if you don't want people to know that you went to them. Night is when you can go investigate something, but not necessarily be associated with that person. And so Nicodemus was sort of wanting to try out Jesus. It's sort of like you get the offer and there's so many streaming services now, right? And, and everyone's talking about this show that you should watch or that show. And it's, there's like 10 gazillion different streaming services that you could sign up for. And, and so you hear some shows coming out and you see an offer for uh, Paramount Plus or Disney Plus or Netflix or whatever it might be. And you think, well, let me go see if they have a free trial. Now, why do we sign up for a free trial? Well, we sign up for a free trial for a couple of reasons. One, it's free, but the other thing is it's low commitment. So I'm not sure that I'm going to like this show. I'm not sure I'm ever even going to get time to watch that show. But if I sign up for the free trial of this thing that everyone's talking about, I can watch it. Maybe I can even binge watch it if it's all put on at once. And then I can cancel. I'm not committed to that service. I haven't signed a contract for it. So you watch the show and then then you cut it off. And, and some of these streaming services have, have quite, I mean, not surprisingly, realized this is what people do. And so when it's the really big shows everyone's talking about, what do they do? The, the free trial goes away. And I, I think it was the new season of The Mandalorian or something, right before it, Disney Plus had like a two-week trial. But the two-week trial, the, the last day it was offered was two weeks before The Mandalorian came out. So you can try Disney Plus, but you're not going to watch that show without paying for it. They want you to make a commitment. Well, Nicodemus wants the free trial of this, this new teacher, this, this new sensation that everyone's talking about. Here's everyone talking about. You should check out, tune into the, the, the rabbi channel and, and listen to this guy. He's really interesting. Maybe, maybe we should hear him. And, of course, all of the self-respecting Pharisees, they're the teachers of the law. Nicodemus doesn't want to be immediately known as a Jesus follower, so he shows up at night. He wants to sign up for the two-week trial and see what it's like. What does Jesus have to say? What is he going to offer as an insight into God's word, into the law, that will help him to better obtain righteousness? So he shows up at night. Now, some people might say, well, that's, that's reading too much into Nicodemus showing up at night. But if we look at the Gospel of John over and over again, night is used in a negative fashion. And in this case, it's not because Nicodemus seems to be antagonistic towards Jesus. 
just he's not sure if he wants to trust Jesus or not. For some of us, that's where we are tonight. And if we're there, this is challenging us. But as we trust Jesus, let it keep challenging us because sometimes even when we've committed to Jesus, we still kind of treat it like we're in the free trial. I'm not sure I'm really hanging on to this or not. I'm not sure I want to pay the cost that comes with following Jesus. And so as we come before God's word tonight, let's enter before our Heavenly Father in prayer. And then we'll read John chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we come before these promises that you give, this truth that you give, this hope that you give, and yet sometimes we're not really sure we want to hang on to it. We're not sure we know where you're taking us, and we aren't sure we want to go there. But Lord, would you help us to be those who are devoted, devoted to you? Would you help us to be those who, who don't hang on to a trial, but subscribe? Because we find in you something far greater than anything we could ever subscribe to, anything we could ever sign up for. We find hope, hope eternal. And help us to see your truth about that in this word tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Nicodemus is there at night, and that's where we pick up in John chapter 3, verse 1. And I'll be right back because I left my clicker over here. So, uh, thankfully, in the dark of our room, I was able to find it. But Nicodemus is going to be finding something even better in the dark. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus shows up at Jesus' door, says, Okay, teacher, you're doing all these amazing signs and wonders. And, and Nicodemus, I, I genuinely believe, means this sincerely. He, he sees these signs, these healings, these things that, that God is doing, and he says, if you're doing all those things, then God is with you, and so I'd like to know, what is it that you're teaching? Now, let us applaud Nicodemus for asking this question, because a lot of times we want the signs and the wonders and not so much the teaching. We want God to, to heal us. We want God to fix the things in our lives. But do we want to know where God is leading us, what he wants us to be? And you see, when Jesus did signs and wonders, he wasn't doing signs and wonders so that he could get on, on Israel today and everyone would be celebrating these wonders that he was doing. He was doing them to show God is here and you should listen to what it is that I'm telling you. And so Nicodemus has the right question there. He says, okay, we see these signs and wonders. They authenticate that you're from God. Now, tell me about your message. Tell me what it, new insights you're going to provide into the law. Now, this is where Nicodemus, in utter sincerity, goes off the rails, because what Nicodemus is looking for is, tell me how we can more perfectly adhere to God's law, be more obedient to it, and, and thereby be more the righteous people of God that we're called to be. 
That's not a bad thing to ask, but it's not the best thing to ask. Because what that's doing is talking about how do I change myself a little bit? How do I reform myself? This is Reformation Sunday. We talk about reform in the church. And when we talk about Reformation Sunday, we're talking about the church being purified, the church being brought closer to God's word, not rejecting some old organization in church and starting over from scratch. The reformers didn't do that. They, they knew that God's word was true. They knew that what the church taught that was faithful to God's word was true. They wanted to come closer to it. And that's sort of what Nicodemus is asking and thinking that Jesus is. Maybe he's a reformer. Maybe he's going to help us to be a little bit more like God. Help us see those rough edges that need to be sanded off. You know, there's a couple sharp spots that we cut ourselves because we don't have it quite right, and we'll, we'll sand that out and it'll be okay. What Jesus says is, no, you need more than that. I like what, what John Wesley says in observing this passage. He says that Jesus wasn't arguing for reformation. He was arguing for wholehearted change, whole change, complete change. And, and so Nicodemus is thinking, I'm going to get a few pointers on how to better understand the law. And Jesus is saying, you need to start over from scratch. You're not even, you're not even in the right area. Yes, you know God's law, but do you know God? And here's the thing that Jesus says on that. And it seems almost like Jesus isn't even answering the question that Nicodemus is asking, and yet he's, asking the, he's answering the question Nicodemus should ask. He says, you're not even going to begin to understand what the kingdom of God is. You're not even going to be able to see the kingdom of God unless you do what I'm about to tell you. And the word Jesus uses here to refer to seeing is not just my eyes are functioning things out in front of me. I can see things like I can see my hand right now and I can see different things around this room. And, and so we, we talk about see in that sense, right? We see people and we see things and we see words and maybe we see words in a different language and they don't really do us any good because we don't know that language. That's seeing. But there's another word in Greek for seeing and that's the one Jesus is using here that means recognizing, processing. And so we might say in a sense, yeah, God's kingdom is around. God's kingdom is there in front of Nicodemus. God's kingdom is, is revealed in his word, including his law. And yet if you aren't born again, you can't process it. It might as well be some language you've never learned, Nicodemus. It's not going to do you any good. Something's right in front of us, but we don't actually understand it. It doesn't do anything for us. Now, this picture of, of rebirth isn't totally new to Nicodemus. Sometimes I think we read this passage and we think, well, Nicodemus had never heard anything like this before. But in fact, the Jews, when they would talk about those who were known as the proselytes, those who, who would become Jewish, they weren't Jewish, they were Gentiles, and they went, underwent a process to become Jewish, as part of that process, there was talk of them going through a new birth. They, they would cut off their old ways. They would, they would reject the way of living, all the laws, the, the ways they ate, the, all these things, and they'd move into this new law and the new holidays and the, and the new people. It was a new birth. Well, if they talked about that, then why, as we're going to see in a moment, 
we'll, we'll get into it further in a moment, but Nicodemus is going to struggle with this metaphor. And, and what we need to understand if we're kind of trying to sit in the room with Nicodemus is that while this is an image for, for non-Jews becoming Jewish, Nicodemus is a teacher of the law. He's at the height of expert-level scholar on, on God's word. Why would he need to be a convert? That's what Jesus is saying. You need to be converted you need to, to do something that breaks what you were and become something else. And Nicodemus is thinking, well, this doesn't make any sense. I'm a Pharisee. He doesn't have to be proud of that even. He, he just, he, even if he's, he's relatively humble about it, let's give him the benefit of the doubt here. Even if he's humble about it, he's still the expert. Why, why would he need to be reborn? What does it look like to be a good Jew? What did it look like if you listened to Nicodemus and he was teaching to be a Jew who someday inherited God's kingdom? Well, you followed God's law as best as you could. And crucially, ideally, you were born a Jew. You're a descendant of Abraham. And so what makes you a Jew? Well, you can point back to Abraham and say, Abraham is my father. He, he is the one that I'm descended from. God made the promise to Abraham. Therefore, I inherit the promises. Nicodemus says, Jesus, why, why can't I understand the kingdom of God? Why are you saying I can't see it unless I go through some kind of conversion? I, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a son of Abraham here. Now, sometimes we, we read Nicodemus kind of woodenly here, and we, we think, when he says, well, how can you be born again? How can you, we be born again? Nicodemus says in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? We think, well, Nicodemus is, is, isn't capable of understanding metaphor. And, and so Jesus uses a metaphor, and it just goes right over his head, and he's thinking, well, Jesus, this doesn't make any sense. There's no way I'm going to be physically born again. I'm, I'm, too, I'm this old man now. I, I, that's not going to happen. But some commentators think, and I tend to agree with them, what Nicodemus is doing here is he's actually going right along with Jesus' metaphor. And he's thinking the same thing the disciples often thought when Jesus criticized the Pharisees. He's thinking, well, okay, if, if I need to be born again, if there's something more that needs to be obtained, some higher level of righteousness that needs to be obtained in order to see the kingdom of God, then, then how in the world does that ever happen? Because I'm doing everything in God's law. I'm keeping the law. I'm teaching God's law. How in the world could I be born again? I'm already where the birth is supposed to take you. I'm already a part of God's people. The problem is Nicodemus is looking at the wrong thing. We often look at that. We look at the outside and think, oh, it looks pretty nice. I'm reminded of one of my favorite chain fast food restaurants, and I, I won't name any names and get anybody in trouble, uh, but one of, the, one of the chains around here decided a few years ago to tear down an older building that they had. They closed down for like six months, tore it down, built a brand new building in its spot. I personally like the old ones look better, but in any case, in theory, I guess the new one was better looking. It, it, it was more modern looking. It had newer lights on it and so on and so forth. And so it was ostensibly better. It was reborn. 
The problem is they didn't worry about the thing that they really needed to worry about was hiring people that could actually run the place. And so it went from where you could go there and maybe five, ten minutes you'd come out with hot, fresh food. You, now you wait 30, 45 minutes and get cold food. So it has this nice building, but it went in the wrong direction. And so often as, as more was being accumulated on God's law, what Nicodemus is looking for, what new insights, what new additions do I need to understand on how to faithfully apply God's law? The problem is you kept adding more and more stuff on, but the food was being served cold. Jesus is saying, you don't need to, to build a new exterior to the building. You need, to, you need a staff inside that's working properly. You need to see that the inside is what really matters. And, and, and so it's not, Nicodemus, about the thing you were worried about when you showed up and you had to come at night. It's not about that you're going to be associated with a new rabbi's school. Now you're a, a Jesus follower. And, and you have to decide whether that's an identity you want or not in this world, if the other rabbis are going to laugh at you or not, or, or if this is a rising school, so people say, isn't it amazing that Nicodemus got on, on the right ship at the right time and now he's one of the, the protégés of the, the, the star rabbi? It's not about that, Nicodemus. It's about so much more. It's about giving up what you belong to all the privileges you thought you had, everything that you thought brought status to yourself, giving those things up and chasing after God's kingdom instead. And in that, as, as Jesus using the sign of birth, another place that showed up in the ancient world, a, a rebirth, was with, with the laws around adoption. And one of the interesting things I was reading about was how when you were a Roman who was adopted you might have certain privileges and abilities within the Roman Empire in your old family. And when you were adopted, it was so completely overwhelmingly applied that whatever privileges belonged to your old family disappeared and you were now treated for all legal purposes, whatever rights and privileges your new parents had, those were your privileges in the empire. A complete change. You couldn't kind of hold on to both. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. You can't hold Nicodemus on to this old righteous att attempt at righteousness, the self-righteousness oftentimes, and also claim to be a follower of mine. You're going to have to decide if you're going to do something more. And that requires a whole lot more than an innovative set of laws like you think you're asking me for. That's what we see as we go on in verse 4. And five. So we, we looked at verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus is looking for a nice, neat, tidy, controllable package. Here are the new ways to understand the Sabbath regulation. Here are the new hand-washing customs you should adopt to, to have your hands ritually clean enough. Here's the way you keep the holidays on the calendar a little bit more fully. Here's a little bit more of an insight in how you relate to your neighbor 
And Jesus says, not that those things are bad, but you need something much bigger. You need that new staff. And that new staff, there's only one staff member for every single person. That staff member is the Spirit of God. Because Nicodemus, as long as you're trying to do it on your own and you're putting up this new, nice new building and so on, but you're going to put your same old heart inside of it and you're going to try to run that, you're going to put out the same cold burgers that ultimately aren't going to let you into the kingdom. They're going to leave you and everyone else disappointed. You need the Holy Spirit. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, Nicodemus wasn't afraid of work. He wanted to understand how to do works to to earn righteousness, to, to earn his salvation, to be part of God's kingdom. He was okay with that. The one thing you could do in if you were a, a Jew and get yourself completely excised out of the community with apostasy to somehow reject God and his law. But, but Jesus says, you're, you're thinking in the wrong terms. Sure, you should, you should live a righteous life, but, but if you really want to work out your salvation, and this is true not only for Nicodemus, but for us today, what should you do? You should turn to God's spirit because he's the one that's doing the righteous work not us. He's the one that gives us the strength to do it. If you want life, if you actually want to be brought back to life, if you recognize that you're dead and you need life, turn to the life giver. Jesus uses this picture of the spirit and wind. In Greek, the word's the same. In Hebrew, we, we, we see the same kind of word play back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The spirit that hovered over the waters and created all the earth, what, that breath, what does the spirit of God do then? He breathes life into the man and brings him to life. And Jesus says, If you want to be reborn, what do you do? You don't go and do something different. That's where life came from originally. If you want to be reborn and you want to actually experience eternal life, you turn back to the life giver and let him breathe into you. Adam, when he was formed, couldn't breathe life into himself. He was just a bunch of clay, a bunch of dirt. But God brought life to him, and so too God brings life to us. You needed more than the genetics of of being made of the stuff of Abraham. You know, being made of the stuff of Adam isn't particularly impressive. You're dirt. It doesn't get you anywhere. What do you need? You need something more. Not our earthly ties that we we so often hold on to and think, this is what defines me, this is what makes me something, but heavenly ties with God. Titus 3, 5, Paul writes, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And this is something that the Abraham himself, the the one who who they were putting their stock in, the one they were saying, we have Abraham in us, and so we're we're saved. Abraham, where, where did he see his faith coming from? Where did he receive righteousness? Take a look at Genesis 15, 6. 
Abraham hears God's promises and we're told he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed in the Lord. He had faith. Where does that faith come from? It comes from the Spirit. So your authors are faith. And then as we believe in him, he provides us with righteousness. Nicodemus couldn't do that. He wasn't a righteous man. None of us are righteous. Not truly. And so Nicodemus could try all he wanted and put all the fresh coats of paint on, put up all the new brick walls for the restaurant. It wasn't going to get him anywhere. He needed someone who actually had the thing that mattered. Those of us who are in St. Louis, I think most of us are still in a little bit of mourning today because the World Series is going on and we're not in it. You know, it just hurts. This was supposed to be the, this was going to be our year. We had Albert, we had Yachty, we, we had Wainwright, who thankfully is coming back next year. We had a great team. It was going to be the year that we go back to the World Series and, and win. Now, here's the thing, though. Imagine if the Cardinals players decided, you know, St. Louis was really counting us to be in the World Series. What are we going to do? We're going to go get some of the World Series patches they put on the jerseys, and we're going to sew them onto our, our jerseys, and we're going to go out on that field, and we're going to play, and we're going to be World Series champions. Would that work? No, they, they, they don't have what they needed to belong on the World Series ball field. How much more so if I decided to, right? I'm going to go get a, a jersey for the Astros or a jersey for uh, the Phillies. It kind of hurts me to think of either of those on me, but I'm going to put one of those on, and they're going to put me out there, and I'm going to be a World Series champion. No, it's not going to work, right? Can't do that. Can't do that for a variety of reasons. One, lack of skill. Uh, but the other, even if I had the skills, I, I don't qualify. I don't meet the regulations that would put me on the team and team's already full and so on and so forth. Sometimes I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to put the God's kingdom patch on our jerseys. We don't even have a jersey, so we're, we're going and buying a jersey at the store and sticking on like it actually belongs on us, and then we're, we're putting that patch on and thinking, okay, now I'm going to enter into God's kingdom. And Nicodemus, is, he has that God's kingdom patch on his jersey. He, he, he knows he's in it because he's a Pharisee. He saw all of God's law. Jesus says that's not enough. And here's the thing that's even different from the World Series. World Series, you do earn your way there, right? If you're an athlete and you're good enough and you get on a team and then your team does well enough, you earn your way to the World Series. The problem is all of us are disqualified from the postseason. We can't put the patch on, but God does. And here's what we need to remember. It's not the things we put stock in. It's not how many generations you've been at a church. It's not how few generations you've been at a church. Sometimes we wear either of those as a badge, right? Oh, I'm not in one of those stuffy old churches with, a, with generations and generations of people in it. Or, yeah, I'm really important because I can show you the charter of the church and my family's name shows up in it. Not that. It's not being righteous enough in some way that we reason out that we're righteous. We, we go through God's law and we pick the ones we want to follow and we say, look, I follow all these laws. I'm righteous. I, I should have that patch on. It's not having the right liturgy. You know, okay, we sang the right songs or we did it in the right order. I mean, we sang Mighty Fortress tonight, so clearly now this is a holy church. I mean, I mean that, that, that just sealed the deal, right? 
No, it's not about those things. As much as I really enjoyed singing Mighty Fortress tonight, that, that really was great, but it's not about those things or whatever other things we come up with. It's about one thing, and that's a good God who shows his good love to us. And everything else Jesus is talking about, and some of the, the, the image that we see, images we see kind of swaying all, all throughout this passage and the rest of the Gospel of John, and we see in the New Testament, we see this picture of birth, but also water, and, and does that apply? The questions are raised on exactly what that's referring to, but certainly baptism is, is factoring into to these images. And so we say, well, maybe that's what puts the jersey on. Here's what we need to understand. Why, why does Jesus call us to repentance? Why does Jesus call us to be baptized? And he does call us to both of those things. Why does he do that? Not because those things somehow make us holy, but those are the things that we do to symbolize that he has made us holy. The patch doesn't get you into the World Series. The patch represents that you're in the World Series. God's Spirit is what brings us into his kingdom. And, and then when he calls us to, to live as kingdom people, to live in faithfulness, to, to be baptized, to, to take the Lord's Supper, to do these things that he's called us to, he's calling us to actually be all in and to belong to him. To, to just delete the free trial offer that we think that we want and to instead just sign up for a lifetime contract, an eternal life contract to be his. Because we're not going to get a little bit out of two weeks of, of binge-watching Jesus and, and, then, and then have enough for a good life. He's not just giving us some, some ideas for living, some things we can put in a meme or, or on our Pinterest. What's he doing? He's calling us to be his. To set aside what we cling to and belong just to him. May we all do that today and every day. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we, we cling to a lot of things. We hold on to the things that, that we think are important. Sometimes they are genuinely good and important. But we hold on to these things because we want to put the patch on ourselves. We want to build the building of our lives ourselves. But it's not about who we are. It's who, about who you are and who you say we are through your good grace and mercy. Would you help us to to understand that truth tonight. You apply it all to our hearts in those places where we're holding on and we're clawing away trying to make things right. Would you help us to remember and to hold on to and to learn that it's only you that can make things right. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.